is only one queen. Long live Queen Elizabeth. God save the queen. All that's happened on my watch is the place has fallen apart. The Crowncast, a new watch-along podcast series from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown must win. Hello and you're very welcome to episode 10, the final episode in the Crowncast News Talks podcast series where we look at everything about series four of The Crown. Uh, My guest for this final episode is John Duggan of Off The Ball and the reason John is the guest is because his previous podcast was the most downloaded. You guys loved hearing what John had to say about The Crown. But before we get stuck into all of that, let's hear what you guys out there had to say about series four yourselves. I think it's brilliant. Well, I love Olivia Colman as the Queen. And Margaret Thatcher. So you felt that Gillian Allison did a great Thatcher? It's absolutely brilliant as Thatcher. Brilliant. The face, the makeup, the actions, very, so very good. So what would you give it out of five? Oh, I'd give it five out of five. I thought Diana was very realistic. I think that the makers of the programme have a view of the royals that the royals don't like, seemingly. But that's what's been reported. Diana, I thought she was great, very realistic to what we believe she was like. But I really enjoyed it. And your favourite episode of the 10 in Series 4? Oh my God. I watched them all together so I can't remember. And you binge watched all 10? <laughs> I did, yeah, last Saturday. That's a lot of telly. It is, but sure it's worth it. <laughs> I thought Series 4 was very good. I feel so sorry for Princess Margaret. I feel so sorry for Princess Diana. And I think the Queen is amazing. I think she's great the way she held it all together and she's doing a job. And she put the job in front of her happiness I suppose for years and can you tell the difference between fact and fiction oh yeah yeah you love Olivia Coleman's portrayal of the Queen I do yeah I think she was very good I'd always have thought of the Queen like that she puts the job very much ahead of everything so you think she puts the firm as they call it the firm exactly ahead of her own family of her own personal life yes she's protecting the firm and that's her job and that's the way she sees it no, I thought it was very interesting when the Queen wanted to see her four children oh, yeah. and she had to make an appointment for each of them to come and visit her and just the way each of them approached her when they came to visit her. I watched the first season and then I got bored of it and then I watched the fourth season only because I know Princess Diana and Charles. You have to take everything with a pinch of salt, I think. I suppose the part I don't like about it is the possibility of Up things home. being uh, invented that, that didn't actually happen, you know? So so you don't like the bits that are just made up? Because uh, there's nobody there to say it's true or not, you know? <laughs> OK, very interesting. Um, John, you're very welcome. Delighted to have you back. You were a newbie when we last met with The Crown. You had not listened to or watched series one to three. You started with series four. You've watched all 10 episodes. Did you enjoy it? Was it worth it? And I'm a seasoned veteran. My royal car is now. I'm back by unpopular demand. <laughs> and eventually I did. Very in, popular demand. Yeah, I, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed the dramatisation. I enjoyed the acting, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, I think it kind of wore on me a bit over time um, because I think what the crown, first of all, one of the issues I have with it is that People might interpret this as fact and it is a dramatisation. It is not completely true. And that's one thing I would no. have, a, have a problem with regarding the whole series. I don't know what the other series were like in terms of their closeness to the truth, but there's definitely um, artistic licence in this. And I don't know if anybody who's young, who's watching this thinks, oh my God, it was Prince Charles that nasty? Um, yeah, and apparently ongoing at the moment within the British press, there is a backlash against, of all people, Camilla. Camilla is getting it in the neck because of her actions 
Jesus, it's nearly 40 years ago now that she, she took up with, with, with Prince Charles and it seems kind of ludicrous to me that a woman in her probably late 60s now is is, is been given shtick for, for an affair she had 20 years ago and ended up marrying the man she had the affair with. Well, they've done a lot of PR, Charles and Camilla, and you'd have to think, what is the impact and effect it's having on Prince William? Seeing mm. uh, his parents' marriage being um, thrown into a dramatisation. Uh, Prince Harry, although obviously he's kind of, he's moved now sideways to the States. But like the Queen herself, uh, Prince Philip, have they watched it? Prince Andrew? They say that they don't watch it. Who? I mean, we cannot know, but that's what they say. Yeah. Can you believe it? I don't. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I think no matter if who it was you, you are, Kira Kelly, think, if it was you being, you know, profiled. If and... it was me, I would say <laughs> I wasn't watching it and then I would watch it on repeat. That's what I would do. And I think that's human nature. I don't care if you're the crown or the sovereign or not. I think at the end of the day, we're all only human. Maybe the queen isn't watching it, but I suspect the younger royals must be. Yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd have to think that maybe Princess Anne or their children. I think their children would be definitely interested oh, yeah. in watching it in the Netflix You know, age. I'd watch it if there was something made about my grandparents and my parents because, like, they weren't alive for most of this either. And getting a bit of insight into it, even, even you know, through other people's eyes would be very interesting. But this episode started off with, with Thatcher's downfall, really. It starts with a speech by Geoffrey Howe, who had been her staunch ally and a senior member of her cabinet. He's resigning, but he gives a very pointed, very there's a bit of a personal attack in it speech to Thatcher about Thatcher in his resignation says she, she's incompatible with the core of conservative values of compassion who knew they were the conservative values um, he also says that uh, you know her, her issues with Europe the stuff going on in the Gulf he speaks about all of it but basically her time is up uh, we'd seen over the course of this series her come to power and this is the full arc now her her, her falling away from power um, did you have any sympathy for Thatcher in the end this is the first time we saw her look upset or vulnerable or dare I say it even human I didn't really have any sympathy for Thatcher uh, at the end of The Crown because I think the whole portrayal of her the, uh, the accent is excellent and I think the acting is good, but it's a bit too much of a caricature for me. I can't really find it believable at times to, like, to see Gillian Anderson almost on the verge of absolutely melting down into a puddle. As Mrs. Thatcher. Um, from time My to time. husband. I can't do it. I was Dennis. Oh, Jesus, John. Steady. Um, I actually, I'm glad you brought Dennis up. He has been throughout a very likeable character and I, I think continues in this episode uh, when she is I suppose having all her, her, her allies fall away from her he's still there at the end and comes in and kind of is very supportive says the bastards and all this kind of stuff he seems like a very sort of likeable guy yeah he was a rock Dennis Thatcher you like to drink like to drink like to smoke like to play golf um, and he was definitely the rock and that's why I think Mrs Thatcher was a bit more human than she was portrayed in The Crown one thing as well that The Crown didn't really capture, I felt, in the whole series. This went from, what, 1979 to 1990, the Thatcher Premiership in, in Britain. Yeah. Britain changed dramatically in those 11 years. You had the Brighton bomb, which nearly killed Thatcher and her cabinet, never mentioned once in the series. You had the minor strike. Odd, Arthur odd that wasn't mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Like, they didn't Batten, but they didn't have the Brighton bomb. The Brighton bomb was a very, very serious thing. And, like, history would have definitely changed if, if she'd been killed in that. And I think it's always underplayed in the narrative. And then you had the Anglo-Irish Agreement off the back of that. The miners' strike was a symbolic uh, destruction of uh, the industrial power of unions. 
and you had privatisation, you had the yuppies, you had the whole... Britain completely changed from the sick man of Europe into this yuppie um, country that was back on its feet economically, but also at the cost to huge amounts of people in the north of England getting done over by Thatcherism. Yeah. And and I, I thought that too. That's when I, I make notes. I'm, I'm very nerdy and boring, but I make notes when I look at the crown because I know we're going to talk about it. And one of the things I was thinking is when the Queen at the end, uh, if we skip forward to the end, but we're talking about, about all that kind of, I suppose, arc of of Thatcher's uh, prime minister-dom, um, she's very magnanimous and kind to, to Thatcher and she praises her and gives her like an order of merit. But, but, as you said, the 80s have come and gone and Britain is a changed place. And and I think here largely we look at Thatcherism, which was a, a, a breed of politics with distaste. But they did go from a, a, an economic basket case and, and a relatively impoverished uh, country that was paralysed by strikes and all sorts of things going on to a country that was far more modern and wealthier, and yes, the North remained poor, but the North was poor when she came into it too. Um, do we do we come away from this thinking that there was some positives to Thatcherism? Well, we came. I think we come away from watching the Crown, not really knowing what Margaret Thatcher did. Oh, she's yeah, just maybe. this kind of tough woman, drinks a whiskey, goes in and like says a piece to the Queen about apartheid, that kind of thing. And I don't really once again believe that the Queen would have been involved in the political jousting with Margaret Thatcher that is portrayed mm. in the series but every week because the Queen I don't think got involved in that kind of thing um, although the, the one of the episodes the earlier episodes uh, has the Sunday Times article where you know the, the Thatcher's branded as uncaring by Buckingham Palace so that was probably the most public rift of their time but I think Britain as I said changed and maybe there's so much going on with Charles and Diana uh, and their monarchy that the, the the monarchy does live in a bubble. And maybe that actually is true, that nothing really changes in the monarchy, even though society and life is dramatically changing outside uh, where you had the miners, you had things like Hillsborough happened, the poll tax uh, and all these things and, and the south of England getting more prosperous and really the city becoming the big thing in the UK. That's why Thatcher existed and was uh, elected three times. Yeah. Um, and uh, And this episode almost more than any other episode I felt was all about the female characters Thatcher the Queen and Diana now Camilla also played a role and I'm only she didn't wasn't a starring role in it but when you think of the fact that Camilla may be the future Queen that there's every possibility of that seeing her I suppose fear about the PR backlash to do with Diana that that's very human I can't imagine any woman having an affair with Charles who who was the rival to Diana who everybody seemed to love couldn't have uh, you you would have felt like Camilla felt like oh Christ I'm in I'm in major trouble here when, when this comes out they're going to hate me and and yeah that's kind of what happened well one of the interesting things uh, I, I kind of picked up the royal family are uh, maybe in the previous uh, series they've been portrayed more positively but they're portrayed very negatively like they're portrayed as not a nice group of people. Prince Charles, like there's no redeeming features out of the portrayal by Josh O'Connor or Prince Charles. And in this episode where he's shouting and yelling at Diana. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, like I don't think actually in the 80s, imagine you had social media and Twitter and all this kind of thing now, that Camilla was, maybe I'm wrong, was in the it was in the limelight as much as she, as she appeared in the in the series. It actually seems worse in the series than it was portrayed to the public at the time. We didn't really know, well, I didn't really know anything about Camilla till till the, there was three of us in this marriage, until that kind of, the, that, that panorama moment. I, I, I think 
most of us kind of got that they weren't happy and they seemed to be living individual lives. But we didn't. I didn't know the ins and outs of of the the affair or anything. And maybe other people who were closer royal watchers did. But 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 you're right. We we didn't know this. Um, Charles, I did have some sympathy for earlier on in the series when he was, you know, or other series too, when he was away in boarding school. He was a kind of a a weak, timid little fella. And then, you know, the family are generally dismissive of him. But in this one, I think he was largely dislikable. He was very, very nasty to her, particularly at the end. He refers to their wedding. And of course, this is all dramatisation, but as a gross misalliance, he throws Camilla in her face. He appears to blame her in, in pretty much every way, Diana, for his own unhappiness. Yet, you know, she signed up for a normalish marriage and didn't get one. It's It's hard to think that it was her fault. It was more the firm, really. Yeah, I, I, I get the sense from watching the episode of, of people being trapped, completely trapped yeah. in a prison. So Prince Charles is trapped by the fact that he is the heir. He has a duty and expectations on him. There's a bit of a man up. Come on, Charles. You know, come on. Be a man. You know, marry Diana. You know, yeah. sort it out. Have your kids. Come on, be, be the king. Uh, and, and he has that awkwardness that's well portrayed, um, I think, in his father's shadow marries Princess Diana it, it, like it, it if it was as bad as it, it's portrayed it like look really really bad because these people couldn't stand each other had nothing in common yeah. and it is like an arranged well, we situation do, we do know she had bulimia you know which is a kind of a, a, a an anxiety related compulsive kind of a eating disorder issue so so we know there was all of that there was certainly stuff written in the book about her and in other reporters that she threw herself downstairs all sorts of things uh, like as if she was crying for harming help. herself uh, exactly what I was going to say as a cry for help and, and and that comes across throughout this what did you think of the bit at the end when when, when and we've jumped forward but we tend to do that on the Crowncast and the bit at the end where and we might take a clip of it here after all these years I still am we all are everyone in this system is a lost, lonely, irrelevant outsider. Apart from the one person, the only person that matters. She's the oxygen we all breathe, the essence of all our duty. Your problem, if I may say, you seem to be confused about who that person is. There we, we we hear Philip talking to her in the bedroom at the end at the Christmas kind of family do uh, about being outsiders and about the devotion to the crown. It struck me when he was making that quite impassioned speech largely about duty and, and supporting the sovereign. They, they all are kind of colluding in a form of madness, aren't they? There's like, if you talk about folly adieu, it's folly adieu. There, there's loads of them and they've all signed up to... Uh, being utterly compromised in every aspect rather of their own lives in order to support this establishment that is the monarchy. I hope it's not as clinical and as cynical as it comes across. And I found it quite sinister because he comes in uh, to the bedroom and has a chat with Diana about look, look, just almost keep the faith kind of chat. And then then she says, I'm going to leave this. You know, I need to find happiness or I'm going to just break away from this. And he goes, I can't see it ending well for you. And I just that was the thing that struck me is that's pretty sinister uh, as part of the dramatization, given what happened to her in 1997 when she tragically lost her life in Paris. Yes. And God knows there was enough conspiracy theories around that. Time Are you more of a believer in the conspiracy theories now, Kira? 
No, I'm not. Although I'm not, I, I believe it was an accident. I believe it happened as, as as we know it to have happened. It was a paparazzi chasing her. She was in a car. It was it was a hurried thing through a tunnel. It looked like her driver was drinking. I, I believe that is the story. But did it suit them that that she she passed away? Maybe not at the time because there was an enormous backlash, as you may recall, against the royal family and against the queen and against all of them when she died. But equally, did it suit them that she didn't go on and exist perennially as this beautiful, tragic figure in their lives, a thorn in their side? Yeah, probably. But I, 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 I no, I believe it was a coincidence. Diana, notwithstanding Philip's threats or, or that you know of doom and gloom that might might you know be in her future, she was growing in power in terms of her her standing with with the public and her standing in other ways she had her own personal staff there's that scene at the table and we actually let's take a clip of that too first item on the agenda is her royal highness's forthcoming solo visit to new york looking at the itinerary our concern would be that it seems to be challenging several appointments each day it's just four days edward in multiple locations we all know the toll a schedule of engagements can take. And I'm sure no one here would wish to see the Princess of Wales overstretched. Certainly not at a risk to her own health. The Princess of Wales's health is exemplary. Mental health. Not to mention the amount of time she'd be separated from her children and the distress that might cause her. The Princess of Wales is well aware of what's required of her and is very much looking forward to the trip. We hear there Charles speaking to Diana and his aides and the aides are, are disparaging of her mental health. They're, they're sort of sneering at her at her inability to be away from her children and, and, and their faux worries, I would suggest, about her ability to do a, a solo trip to New York. But we see that she has her own personal staff and her own personal aides who are defending her and who are supporting her. And we know that that trip was a triumph. And I actually do remember the photographs of her hugging those those children in Harlem who were HIV positive. So so she she was connecting to people in a way no other member of the royal family could. And it did give her a power over the rest of the family. Charles berated her for what he calls her grandstanding and her theatrics. And he goes, oh, we could all have done stuff like that. And she goes, ha, I doubt it. And she's right. They have the absolute inability to take the poker, dare I say it, out of their asses and just be kind or compassionate towards other people. Well, maybe Prince William and Kate have more connection now with yeah, true. Uh, people normally. I think that's the legacy once again of uh, like you, you see uh, the boys in the car with Princess Diana yeah. and she was modern and she had that modern from her love of 80s music too. And once again, I think she's portrayed by Emma Carn, who does a brilliant job quite innocently when I think Diana matured quite quickly in the role. And by the time you get to about 1990, she, like, she had her own voice. She had a confidence yeah. that I don't really think you see. I think the portrayal of her is still quite uh, connected to her early years in the 80s. Whereas I think by that time herself as a person, and Diana, I remember, was quite mature in terms of her connection and her communication of what she believed about issues when I was growing up and watching her. And like I almost felt that by the time she was only 36 when she passed away, that she came out across as an older 36. So she kind of learned a lot on the job. Um, but I find it, I find it. I find I feel quite sorry for the Diana portrayed yeah. in the thing because there's a loneliness, even though she had a lot of suitors. There's a loneliness to that, I think. And there, there is, this, is. There's a, there's a, a, a like a fact that she just there's no love 
who was Diana really in love with? And it's really sad that through the tragedy of, and I don't believe it, ultimately it was conspiracy theory, um, the tragedy of her passing, that she never got that. And Charles never got that. And he only got that now through Camilla. But what's the funny thing about it is it's all turned now that people are watching this and believing this is history, then the Charles and Camilla thing can never rest at peace. Mm, which is very interesting. Uh, I'm not sure I fully agree with you that 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 this is innocence. There are flashes when, and it's mostly when we're seeing her, I suppose, through Charles's eyes, and and, and Charles doesn't come across as likable or somebody that you really find resonates with you in terms of his views. But but her instincts, her media instincts, they were perfect. And and whether that is because they were rooted in kindness and compassion alone, or whether there was self-promotion there or whether I think I suspect probably more likely there was both um, I, I think that she is a layered character but I also thought John when I was looking at it and I was trying to think back and trying to put it into context in the real life there was bravery in her actions she did stand up to the royal establishment she did break with conventions which is never easy to do and challenge taboos and things like that it, it was brave to walk in a field of landmines it was brave to hug a HIV uh, patient at that time when there was such fear and such stigma about HIV and it was brave to face down those men in grey suits as, as I think they were referred to who were so dismissive of her as a young woman like she there was bravery there and 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 I think I'm possibly only appreciating it now through watching this bravery uh, combined with loneliness yeah that yeah. you're in a prison and you're having to fight and the only way you can fight is by using your megaphone so she yeah. realised quickly and through Australia trip I've got the megaphone here um, I better use it because it's the only way I can actually communicate how I'm feeling and that's add to the wider audience rather than the actual audience that won't listen to her as you see in the episode with the Queen saying I'm too busy I've got to go and see to my corgis rather than talk to you and that, that is that is just was extraordinary yeah. and, I'm, and I know it probably never happened as that was but imagine John you spoke to any member of your extended family colleague or anything and they didn't just say to you no I can't talk to you now they said I can't talk to you now because I've got to go and feed my dog like it is the incredible rudeness and dismissiveness on a on a queenly scale I, I suppose but but I was semi gobsmacked at that even though I know it's not really real but if, if we take it at face value it was it still shocked me yeah it portrays her as a harsh character that and I know Pierce Morgan's written about it uh, not Peter Morgan but Pierce Morgan that uh, it did, you know the Queen was kind to Diana I don't, once again I don't think from everything I've read that the Queen would have got involved at that level like I only think she really gets involved when she really needs to, you know. So there's a lot of involvement from the Queen in the in the in the Crown, but I don't necessarily think I'd say she's probably somebody that when she speaks her mind, she does it very rarely, and it has an impact more yeah. so than the person who's constantly commenting and this and that. Um, she 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 also was incredibly hard on Charles, and she yeah. gave him both barrels about being immature and spoiled and all this. But when he, he approaches, she she doesn't say, no, I won't speak to you, I have to feed my dog. She goes, okay, I will speak to you, but keep it brief. We'll stay standing to make sure it's brief. Like, I can't, you know, I don't. my parents are both dead, but I can't imagine if I went to them with some heartfelt thing I wanted to speak to them about, that they would ever have told me to stay standing so that, that I, they didn't have to delay on the conversation with me. It Like... Perhaps it's just a whole other There's a weirdness. way of living. There is just a weirdness to the way the whole thing comes across. Um, yeah. Once again, not connected to the Britain that you were seeing in the 80s, like, you know, riots. Um, uh, you know, I would call it oppression of people like at football stadiums. 
um, you know, minor strikes, uh, the grittiness of th- the things like EastEnders that came on the scene yeah. in 1985. And like the, 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 these people are living in a complete bubble. Like, okay, you have your oh, barrel, so- moral, barrel moral shooting and all that. And what I think the Diana uh, character and, and person did in real life is she un- she took the curtain back on the royal family and you realise, you know what? There's not that much there. And I really, really hope that they're, and maybe in the later series, they will be in the previous series, that they're nicer people than they come across. Because they come across yeah. as pretty out of touch, privileged, um, and maybe the Queen, the Queen probably comes out as the nicest of them, but... I don't duty has um not done wonders for their humanity. Yeah. Um lastly because I know we're coming to the end but what struck me and I thought it was a nice touch and and I and I think these touches these little reflective points and and little techniques that they use throughout the crown to make you think or make you join the dots between one thing and another. It, it, just that final scene where they go downstairs for the family photo. It's Christmas. Diana and, and Philip have talked about being outsiders. Diana is very clearly not only feeling like an outsider, but kind of treated like an outsider as well. But they get together and it just struck me in that moment, despite us saying that they were that they live this rarefied, weird life, that they were exactly like all of us there. They are there at the family. They're all together. They're thrust upon each other. Lots of old grievances, misery, petty rivalries, unresolved rows and hurts, but wearing their kind of Sunday best for Christmas and pausing, you know, and taking a photo. And, and that, on some level, will happen in many, many households this Christmas and every other Christmas that when families get together, these things that, that that's that's actually life so so despite the fact that they live in this this rarefied bubble they live in a in a golden mouse trap or whatever you want to call it on some level they're dysfunctional in sort of the way we maybe all are yeah you're right and uh they do have the stiff upper lip and they do have the the stoicism of keep calm and carry on and uh, I, like there's a lot of positives about the royal family if you look at it I'm not, not as an, an Irish maybe you know I'm taking away any kind of nationalism or republicanism that I might have I'm a republican and I don't believe in monarchies but I almost understand that it's a very traditional part of the British psyche and you know that's got to be respected it's huge for tourism it's massive yeah. absolutely massive Buckingham Palace um, you know the, the obsession of say American people the Germans with, with the royal family. There's the whole Commonwealth idea. The fact that they're still ahead of, she's still ahead of state of uh, Australia, Canada, these kind of countries, even though they're effectively governing themselves. So you've got to respect all that. Uh, they're human beings, after all. When you distill it down and you, you strip back the, the beautiful paintings and the pearls and the cup of tea and the corgis and all that kind of thing and the beautiful stately homes, when you strip it all down, they're human beings with feelings. And I do think that they're probably unfairly portrayed in terms of the fact that they're human beings with good feelings and bad feelings and there's good and bad in everybody. Mm. And also the one thing that you you, you get out of it is it is important to be with people you love. (laughs) You can't choose your family and that's fine. But um, maybe the institution, what what would be wrong with Prince Charles being um, and uh, not having a family? And then if he passes away, then his brother becomes king or his sister becomes queen. You what would be so wrong with that and, and rather than know. having I'm, an arranged situation and a, and a devastating situation for both, not both the pair of them and then their children and it looks like his life was miserable because of it Princess Margaret her life 
Captain Pete Townsend she wasn't allowed to marry looks like her life was miserable the king before that was forced to abdicate looked like his life was miserable uh, they, they, they seem to sacrifice quite a lot to this notion but but lastly 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 if I was to ask you do you have any standout moments from this episode or indeed any of the series or any standout characters what was your favourite bits and the standout episode moment of this was when Margaret Thatcher is given the order of merit by the Queen and doesn't say anything <laughs> <laughs> After she she's given, she just walks out her the lip, door. Her lip just wobbles and she <laughs> off she heads. Uh, that was one of the standout moments. And I thought Prince Charles, like the, the actor Josh O'Connor, like given, you know, like obviously he was taken aback and probably unnecessarily. The way, like just you never like to see the shouting at, at a woman like that, you know. So I didn't, I didn't find that very pleasant. And um, no, I, I wouldn't say the actors enjoyed uh, doing it. Um, but I, I, I just, I, I found. I would commend them for the acting and the way it was all dramatised um, and it's something that will I watch the next series I probably will will flick in I think some of the series episodes the Charles and Dye stuff was very good the Fagan stuff no I could take or leave you know so I think it's a bit of a curate's egg for me but it's something that I definitely would give a chance to again yeah, look, thank you for that indeed. And of course, lots of conversations going on out there about The Crown. Indeed, there was an article in The Telegraph during the week suggesting that off the back of this series, Camilla, who might have had a chance of being queen, will now never be queen because of the backlash that is happening today about events that took place 40 years earlier. Look, thank you so much for speaking to me today. That is John Duggan from Off the Ball, who is just fantastic and is a Republican, not a royalist, but yet can still see all the good in series uh, four of The Crown. And let's hear what our other News Talk presenters think about series four as well. I loved season four. It's hands down, without a doubt, it is my favourite season of the four to date. But my favourite episode was actually the very last episode, um, the 10th one of the fourth series, War. Because it kind of showed the, the challenges that Thatcher faced. She was fighting for her position Charles became even more determined than ever to get separated from Diana. Their marriage unravelled. And despite it all, I just thought there was something very lonely and very sad about the, the, the end of the episode with um, Diana and the kids going to, to celebrate Christmas with the whole family. I just thought it was, um, I thought it really summed up the whole series. For me, the standout star of season four was Diana. I thought she I thought she was absolutely brilliant throughout the um throughout the series. You really felt great sympathy for her. Um and I, I thought she played the role so well. The standout performance for me in season four of The Crown is actually Tobias Menzies and his uh, portrayal of Prince Philip. I don't think he really probably praised Prince Philip what Prince Philip was like because I can't imagine the person I'm about to describe as the real Prince Philip. But the way Tobias Menzies plays him is is like he's the the kind of... He's a foil for everyone else in it who, who lacks self-awareness, which is almost every single other character, whether it's Margaret Thatcher or the Queen or anyone in between. Uh, none of them have any self-awareness. Uh, except him. He's the person who seems most acutely conscious of how they've all been born with silver spoons, how their experience of life isn't the real experience of life, how the public perceives them. Uh, you know, he, he, like I said, I don't think that's really what Prince Philip was like, but it's how Tobias Menzies plays him. And I think Tobias Menzies is a great actor, by the way, so maybe I'm a little biased already in that regard. But I just find him the, mo- the, most, the most interesting character in the series because of that. 
My favourite episode in season four of The Crown is the episode with Fagan, your man who breaks into the palace, the commoner, as as they might call it in, in Buckingham Palace. Uh, I just I just found it a really interesting episode. It kind of broke away from a little bit, dare I say, of the monotony of some of the rest of the series about Charles and Diana. Like after a while, I just found both of them equally unlikable as characters. Um, you know, I, I didn't know who to have sympathy with there. I had sympathy with neither of them really, maybe with their children more than anything. Uh, but I, I thought the episode of Fagin was really good. I thought it, the character was really well played. Uh, like it was, it, It's kind of a mad episode and if you didn't know anything about the history of it, it's the one where you'd raise an eyebrow and think this could not possibly be true. This did not happen. And yes, it did happen. It's arguably, some might say, it's the most accurate episode in the series. But it's really interesting and it just gives a little picture of what Thatcher's Britain actually looked like for a lot of people. Okay, that's it. That's our lot. That's the end of episode 10 and there was only 10 episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in and making the Crown cast. So we're delighted to have had you on board. I hope you enjoyed it. And no doubt there will be another series and perhaps we'll talk to you again then. In the days go by like a strand in the wind in the web that is my own I begin again I said to my friend Everything baby, stopped. Nothing else matters So The Crown Cast from News Talk. The Crown. The Crown. The Crown must win.